0: Thanks Melinda for that reading from Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10. Can I encourage you, keep your Bibles open or your app or have you reading it because we're going to spend some time just seeing what God wants to say to us out of this remarkable piece of scripture. But before that, I wonder, I wonder how you spent Anzac Day. It was different, wasn't it? Sometimes we'd gathered at the dawn service in Canberra, other times the service there in Kenthurst Park, or maybe some of you had the privilege of being in Anzac Cove on in Gallipoli on Anzac Day. But yesterday was so different. And yet, you know, there was something so familiar about it, such the same. Even on our streets at 6am, standing in the letterboxes of our driveways, there was that sense of... A commitment it was a promise we made you see that's the essence of lest we forget we're not going to forget we're going to remember we're going to remember the sacrifice we promised that so there's a sense in which that sense of a promise is exactly what we're up to now in this account by nehemiah of, of god's grace and mercy to the children of israel you know the story so far we've they've come back from from persia from being in captivity uh, they've rebuilt the temple, and then under Nehemiah's leadership, they rebuild the wall. It's now secure. Ezra reads the scriptures, and then as the scriptures read, they realize they realize how far they'd got away from God, how far they've drifted away from the law of Moses. And so, as we come to this chapter, the end of chapter nine and chapter ten, we get a response to that. Look at these words in in verse uh, 38. In view of all of this, we're making a binding agreement, putting in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, our priests are fixing their seal. They're saying, we're going to make this promise. We're going to make this promise. And it's a promise we are going to keep the law of Moses, to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord, our Lord. It's a powerful statement by them, isn't it? There's some things about it we want to recognise initially. First of all, it's very clearly, it's a personal statement by them. If you read on, it says that they actually seal this with their seals. Now, we don't have that much these days, although recently I had to put the fix the seal of the Baptist Union of Australia to a document. It's now just a rubber stamp these days, no sealing wax or those things. But that was a statement by People who are signing it, that this is true, correct, and we're affixing our names to it as a sign of that. That's what Nehemiah's cohort was saying. This is a promise we're making and we're doing it personally. And then, secondly, we're doing it publicly. Here's the record of it. You can read the record of it. Here it is now in the scriptures. You can read that. This is what we've said. We're going to do these things. And so, those who sealed, were, Nehemiah, and the list goes on through the next number of verses to identify the leaders, the scribes, the the religious leaders, and then other people, significant people, saying we're committed to this. And then the third thing we see is, in fact, that there's some really practical applications of what we're going to do about this. I mean, there's some of that, wasn't there, what we were doing yesterday, in the sense of, here we are, we're reminding ourselves of what the Anzacs have done for us. We're reminding ourselves of who that, and we did that personally. We did that publicly. Of course, the other thing I think of when I think of this passage of Scripture, of course, is, is baptism. You see, baptism is that exactly. It's a personal response to what we know Jesus has done for us. Here, here's the liberation Jesus brought to me. He's given me new life, new hope, a new way to live. I want to declare that publicly. I say that I'm a follower of Jesus now, and then I do that through baptism. See, there's the public declaration of that. That's what it, it's a public witness. Hold me accountable, friends. I've said I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to declare that. Now, perhaps immediately I've said that. You've said, "Oh, well, you know, Keith, I've never done that." Well, could I encourage you, as we talk about promises, as we talk about commitments? Could I encourage you to think seriously if you haven't, to say, I need publicly to declare Jesus is my Lord. And then there'll be some practical applications of that like we're going to see now as we turn to, to this passage and see what they've said they'll do. You see, the first thing, there's three areas I want to concentrate on. There's a lot of material here, and I encourage you to read it. Uh, but the first thing we see in verse 30 is they say, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us, or to take daughters for our sons. Now, this is an interesting statement. See, this is the promise, or this is a declaration about this key reality of key relationships. You see, what they knew was their history had already reminded them uh, through the the way that the Word of God had been diluted, the way, in fact, that, that we'd slipped away from the Word of God because we'd allowed ourselves to be impacted by the other cultures around us this multi-faith, pluralistic society of that that era, all these different gods of all makes and shapes and sizes, and we've allowed ourselves to be impacted by inviting followers of that into our immediate families through marriage. I mean, the story of Solomon, the, the wisest king, is such a tragedy, isn't it, that he allows that to happen. In spite of what he knew about the goodness of God and the grace of God and the power of God, he still lets himself be be diverted from that see this is an issue of allegiance this is what this is really about am i aligned is is that who i'm committed to you see for the for for they realized that if they were going to stay close to god then they needed to protect some of those key relationships now let's be careful this is not about racism this is not saying we are better than other people This is just saying there are key fundamentals which we need to sustain. And that's no different in our era for you and for me. We live in an era where tolerance is the great, it's the great virtue. We're tolerant of everyone, which of course means that you can't hold hard positions because then you're intolerant. But see, here's the challenge, isn't it? Is Jesus the only way? Is what Jesus said that I'm the only way back to the Father? Is that true? And if that's true, that's fundamental. And if it's fundamental, then guess what, friends? We dare not enter into any allegiances, alliances, relationships that would water that reality down. Now, that doesn't mean that we put ourselves away in some Christian ghetto and we put barriers up so we're not contaminated. But what it means is that as we move out into the world, as God calls us to, we make sure that there are some things that are not negotiable. There are some things that cannot, be, that cannot be watered down. We have to remind ourselves in all of our relationships that if Jesus is who Jesus says he is, then there's no place there for negotiation. There's no place there for saying that can't be true. Or perhaps there's another way. I will remember we worked in Indonesia and dealing with some young Muslim fellas. They would say to me, you know, Keith, there's a lot of ways to get from Bandung, where we are studying, down to Jakarta. But they all go to the same place. See, that's the subtlety of that. No, they don't. No, they don't. There's only one way. And that's the way of Jesus. And you and I, as we grapple with this text, need to remind ourselves. See, here's the principle for us. Our principle is we are not going to enter into significant relationships that compromise our allegiance to our lord the second area that they that they talk about that they're going to sustain is what i want to call life rhythms you know they say when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the sabbath we will not buy from them on the sabbath or on any holy day every seventh year will forego working the land and will cancel all debts in verse 31 See, this is about the rhythms that they understood God had given them. Of course, these rhythms come out of the narrative of of creation. The creation stories in Genesis. Here's God at work, and for six days God works, and on the seventh day he rested. And he made it a holy day, a separate day. That's what the word holy means, in fact. A set apart. Set apart from what? Set apart from the normal. Here's the day, and really had three components. One was to honour God. Secondly was a, a time of rest. Respite, change from the norm, and the third thing was actually to take care of creation. See the honouring of God. This is God's world. God is the provider. Where in our rhythms does that true? See, for for these the children of Israel in this period, as Nehemiah's leadership, it's we are going to go back to keeping holy the Sabbath. They drifted from that. And here they make this very clear declaration, irrespective of what the the culture around us is doing, we will not we will not misuse what God has given us in this rhythm and then of course, there 's the other holy days and a whole whole host of of rhythms that God has put in uh, to the mosaic law for them to to maintain and what for? well, to do those things first of all to honor God. Secondly, but to provide rest. I mean, remember where the children of Israel come from as God gives them. They'd been in Egypt. Here's 24-7 slave work, no break there. And they come out of that. And God says, now, now there's rest. Now there's time for recreation. Now there's time to to reflect, to meditate, to put ourselves in a position where we can hear God speak to us. That's a lovely privilege, isn't it? For you and for me. This opportunity for you and for me within the rhythms of life. And of course, for us to gather like we are, yes, a bit differently over this period, but gathering together to worship God, to honour God, to acknowledge his goodness. Lord, you are worthy of our worship. And we've gathered to remind ourselves of that again on this Sunday. What a privilege. What a privilege it is to do that. We look forward to the day we can gather again together, closer face to face, maybe offer handshakes and even a hug. I'm trying to remember what they're like now, actually. But you know what I mean. We'll get there. But in the meantime, we dare not give up this privilege, this opportunity. Because we recognise, too, there are other people in our world today who don't have that opportunity of a freedom to do these things. Is that a rhythm that's in your world? That's an important rhythm. And see, the other thing we need to say to ourselves is, well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I find my places to, to meditate, to relax, to do those things? I I wonder. I wonder for you, as I speak to myself about my rhythms, my daily rhythms, is there a place in my daily life to, to pause, to open myself up to God's wisdom, to hear, to hear the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, reminding me of the things that, that are important and what's coming this day. I wonder, you, do you do that? Here's an opportunity, actually, over this period, You know, Scripture Union and other organisations provide some excellent material online. You can get it, download it. I'd encourage you. If you don't do it, do it. And then having done that, the other thing I want to suggest, and for me it's been critical for me in my rhythms of life, is a group of people to reflect on that with, to pray with, to share with, to care for, to respond to. I mean, I've been so encouraged over the last few weeks to see the care going on in our small groups and, and, and people reaching out to people, and making sure that we're all okay. And them struggling initially with Zoom and now they're all experts. <laughs> it's great to see. But, you know, we need to be one of those. You know, at the bottom of the webpage, as you look at, there's a spot for you to, to email into the church office. If you're not in a small group, can I say to you, here are the rhythms God's put in place for us. These are rhythms that you and I need to grab hold of and to work with. And then, of course, the other thing was the Sabbath was for the care of the community. You know, this wasn't just for the Israelites, but it's also for their servants and for their animals. He's a reminder of, of our responsibility uh, to our environment, to the world we live in. Our responsibility to be a part of the, the, the community concerned about what are we going to leave, our children and our great-grandchildren. And so is our principle. My principle is, again, we will observe the patterns the Lord has created for us. And finally, the third area is the area of personal resources. And this is really the longest section in this this passage. As you read it, you'll see that. And so there's a lot in here. But I want to just draw out for me what, for me, are several critical things. I want to call these, in a sense, the things we promise the Lord that we'll do. We'll declare his ownership. We'll reflect his love. We'll support his work. They're the three keys here. Let me, let me just backtrack on that then. In verse 31, we'll declare his ownership. See, this was the issue of we're going to leave the land fallow one year in seven. See, this was a reminder that actually it's not our land. It's God's land and we're the stewards of the land, as Nehemiah reminds the people. And one year in seven, you'll, you'll affirm that by saying, Lord, we hear your call on us to leave it fallow, to rest it, to restore it. And so we're going to affirm again who you are. That in terms of our personal resources, we're affirming that you, you are the owner. And we are, in fact, we're the tenants. Now, I must admit, as I've thought about this over these last few days, (laughs) I've had to challenge myself about my attitude to my property, to the house I live in. To what extent is that mine? It's my castle, and I'm going to let in who I will. And keep out who I want to. As opposed to saying, Hey, hey, Keith, you know, I gave you this property and and here's I've given it yes, it's for your security and, and for your sustenance, but also don't forget it's for you to be welcoming, hospitable. Now I know at the moment with COVID nineteen that's there's some limits on that. But these are principles that live beyond the current circumstances. You see here's the challenge. How much am I using what you've given me, Lord? And I'm claiming ownership when the reality is, as I well know, that's not mine. You are the giver of all the good things. And I'm challenged to use them in a way, which is the second thing, to reflect his love. You see, what it says in verse 31 is that the part, the end of that verse is that we're going to release the debts. One year in seven, the Jubilee year, what was going to happen was that the people were going to say To anyone who was in their debt, you don't have to pay interest this year. Or even better, in fact, I'm going to cancel out the whole debt. I'm going to say you are free from that. Now, at this stage in the life of the children of Israel, there was an enormous amount of what I call economic slavery. Sons and daughters were often sold into slavery because of the need to maintain financial resources for the family unit. And the sad thing was here were Jews enslaving other Jews. Because it was the nature of the commerce of that era. And so here is God saying, no, no. You need to release them from that. You need to use your resources to declare my love. You need to use my resources to articulate again quite clearly the sense that there is renewal and restoration and hope. And you need to do that every seventh year. What a lovely thing, this notion of the jubilee year. No, no going to reflect his love and then the largest part of this is actually the verses that follow from verse 32 to 39 talk about how we support his work you see these earlier verses talk about in fact family home commerce but now as it were Nehemiah says now these are the sections you really need to pay attention to you see here's what's happened the temple's been built the wall is up But the truth is, the temple, which is the reflection of God's presence on earth in that era, in the Old Testament period, where was God present? He was present in the temple. And so it was out of the temple then that the presence of God would be mediated out as people were encouraged to come to the temple, come and meet the Lord. So there's the court of Gentiles. Remember in the Gospels, Jesus clears out the court of Gentiles of the traders because you're stopping people from coming to the Father, coming to God. And so here the temple was critical in that way. It's critical to be the the agent which would declare the transforming, renewing, liberating, reconciling love of God. Come. And so people go, and it was open to all people. The promise was to Abraham and to all nations. Now, what we know is, of course, the history of Israel, they never really got that at all. And we see some of the resistance to Jesus by the Jewish community of his era about that. But that's why the temple needed to be sustained. That's why there needed to be resources, funds, sacrifices brought. Because this was affirming who God was. Well, we're not in that era any longer. But we are still under the same responsibility to be sustaining the ministry of God, the declaration of God. See, he's the wonder of it, isn't it? He's a lovely way that you and I can use our resources in a way that declare who God is and help people move from a hopeless eternity to a Christ-filled eternity. I mean, what, what a privilege to take the resources, which we know we're just stewards of, and say, no, I'm going to invest those. I'm going to invest those in my local church. I'm going to go online. am going to make an electronic transfer. I'm going to do it regularly. Because, see, they're the patterns that came with this. You see some of those patterns. It's responsible giving. In verse 32, they're reminded that they are responsible. It was obligatory. This is not an extra, an add-on, whatever's left over. No, no. If the ministry of God is going to be sustained through the temple in Jerusalem at this time, then you are responsible. Well, if the ministry of God is going to be sustained in our communities in these days, guess who's responsible? Yep, you and me. And see, the other thing they said was it's going to be systematic. There's the, the, the feast days and a whole series of feast days when you will bring to the temple gifts which are representative of what those feast days are about. And so you'll, you'll do that systematically, appropriately in that way. There's also reminded that it'll be proportional. It's very fascinating. There's a word in there, wood, talking about a wood sacrifice. Here's the, the awareness that not everyone has got the same amount of resources. Here's the awareness that some can bring a whole calf or a lamb or maybe birds of the air, and some can only bring wood. The critical issue is we're called to give out of our abundance. That's, that's a lovely release for some of us, and for others, it's a challenge <laughs> given how much God has invested in us. And then finally, it needs to be sacrificial bring the best, the first fruits the first children. See, it's not the bits that are damaged or left over. It's The, fir- the first he means the best. Bring God's, Bring to God the best. Because why? Because he's the giver of all good things and he deserves our best. That's the nature of this. Now, sadly, the history of Israel is, and we can read on in chapters 11, 12, 13, that they didn't keep it. And so I say to myself, Lord, how do I keep this? And you see, I think for me, uh, I find the, the truth of that in Paul's statement to us in Philippians chapter four and verse 13. This is a postscript. How do I keep them? How do I live out these promises that I'm making to God today again? As I declare these publicly, privately, publicly, practically. Well, he says what? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do these on my own. I can't sustain this. It's too countercultural cultural It's so much anti of what we hear day in and day out a Look after me. Use my funds for me. Take care of me, etc. I, I just need to be, to be challenged out of that. And so here's the challenge. Jesus is Lord. Well, then he's Lord of my relationships. He's Lord of my life rhythms. And he's Lord of my possessions. And so I need to open myself up to the ministry of the Holy Spirit again, even at this moment. As I listen to this, and as I read my scriptures, Spirit of God, what are you saying to me about about my relationships? What are you saying to me about my possessions? What are you saying to me about my rhythms of my life? What a privilege. Let me pray for us. So, Holy Spirit, we are asking that you would open our ears to hear what you're saying to us. You would open our eyes to see what you require of us. And you would open our hearts to be affirmed in your love and empowered to be your faithful followers of Jesus. We thank you. Amen.